welcome to Onco Farm. I am your host, John Bazaar. I am an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the presenting sponsor of Onco Farm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Uh, today is February 7th, and I've been playing on this topic for a while, but last night on the, uh, on the nightly news, on the NBC nightly news, they ran a story about uh, New York City and some other um, municipalities cracking down on CBD-infused uh, coffee and snacks and things like that. And CBD is cannabidiol, uh, which is one of the components of cannabis. And, and we'll get, in, get into this, but um, about a month ago, for the first time on a, um, on a med list in an EHR, I saw CBD oil. Listed. It was it was in quotes. It wasn't like from the drop down menu in the EHR, but the patient had said to whoever was collecting the medication history that I take CBD oil, and it was just put in there. Uh, and because it's uh, it's not linked uh, to any drug database, it, it certainly we're not flying for any drug interactions. Were there any with this patient? Um, and so I thought this would be a, a topic. It's a question that I've been asked about clinically. So we're going to focus mostly on. Uh, cannabidiol and how it may affect patients receiving chemotherapy as an oncology pharmacy podcast. Um, so <clears throat> just for um, uh, your edification, if you're outside the state of Tennessee where, where I live and practice, CBD oil specifically a, a few years ago was, um, I guess the term is legalized in the state of Tennessee uh, as a state a statute. I guess. Uh, so now uh, you can buy CBD oil in the state of Tennessee. Um, there's a there's a place right next to my favorite Thai takeout place um, where I get my hair cut. There's one like three stores down where you can buy CBD oil. Uh, and CBD is different than THC. They both are you know bioactive uh, compounds from cannabis, which is what you know marijuana, dope, whatever whatever the kids call it or so. So THC is what gets people the euphoria and get high, uh, and CBD has no psychoactive properties. Now, there's CBD oil that you buy, you know, quote, over-the-counter, although it's not a, a dietary supplement or vitamin supplement. It's not regulated in that way at all. Um, uh, it is insoluble in aqueous solution, which is why you have to buy it. Uh, it has to be uh, available in the oil. Now, there is an FDA-approved cannabidiol. Uh, the brand name is Epidiolex, and that was um, approved last year for refractory seizure disorders in children under the age of two, uh, Lennox Gestalt syndrome and Dravet syndrome. And that was the reason that Tennessee allowed CBD oil to be used was specifically uh, for pediatric uh, seizure patients. Now, um, the CBD oil down the street from you know where I buy my Thai food is probably not catering just to a refractory seizure uh, in mar- kids market. It's it's for anybody who takes it for a variety of reasons, um, whether that be nausea, anxiety, pain, uh, who knows. Now, the Epidiolex, the FDA approved cannabidiol, is a class five controlled substance. So it's it's a controlled substance by in the eyes of the DEA, but it's the the least stringent classification. So class five. Um, so that would mean low potential for per use, the lowest of any controlled substance. The PI explicitly states that, uh, you know, there's a section, uh, it's section like 9.3 and 9.4, that in the uh, in the studies I didn't see in, in animal studies any uh, hint of abuse or any hint of dependence or tolerance developing in in uh, in animals that were exposed to CBD. Whereas if they're exposed to say alprazolam, they want to keep coming back more and more for it. So the tests they use. Uh, and the models, the animal models, don't suggest any abuse or dependence potential, which is what uh, we generally accept to be true about cannabidiol. So, 
why can a Tennessean uh, and other states, uh, other uh, folks, um, you know, buy CBD just like <clears throat> like I buy pad thai? But technically, in the eyes of the DEA or the FBI or federal law, you could be arrested for for buying or having cannabidiol. Well, that gets into big states' rights issue, uh, and that's not that's not my purview. This is not. Uh, that's not the name of this podcast. It's an oncology pharmacy podcast. So, so back to CBD use in cancer patients. Whether it's for nausea, pain, anxiety, uh, I, I can't tell you a whole lot about the efficacy of cannabidiol for, for anything other than pediatric seizure disorders where, it, um, where you look at the, the two papers in general medicine and uh, pretty striking decrease in seizure frequency in kids before and after they start uh, the cannabidiol. Uh, you can do a PubMed search for cannabidiol, and you can limit those results to clinical trials. 124 results, um, but most of them are very early preclinical work uh, looking at interactions between cannabidiol and THC. Uh, not a whole lot of, uh, of useful things to our patient population. Certainly, there's no like phase three randomized controlled trial to see does this decrease uh, anxiety or depression in patients with cancer or anything like that. Uh, there is one interesting study that I'll mention uh, towards the end. Uh, another thing about cannabidiol oil, when you buy it, um, besides the fact that there's the, the state versus federal um, kind of, uh, I don't know, truce, maybe you would call it, going on right now, is, uh, you know, I kind of know from growing up on a farm in, in Indiana that there's a peak time to, to pick sweet corn. I mean, I literally grew up between two cornfields. Um, so anything that's, that's grown, there's a time where it's going to be best to harvest where the sweet corn will be sweetest. You go too long and the simple sugars become complex sugars uh, and it's not as sweet and it's a little more chewy. Um, and just like if you go to your farmer's market, the, the produce you get there is going to be different from the produce I would buy at my farmer's market. And the same could be true of CBD because you don't know where it comes from. You have no idea if the, the 1%, 5%, 10% that it's labeled if that's actually what it is and what the actual concentration of cannabidiol is. Um, so anyway, that, that's, again, separate topic. What I want to focus on are the potential drug interactions of cannabidiol in patients receiving chemotherapy. Uh, now, again, you do the, the PubMed search, look at the clinical trials, you're not seeing a whole lot of pharmacokinetic studies at all. But since we do have the FDA-approved cannabidiol, as the brand name Epidiolex, we do have some um, empiric drug interaction information about this. So what we know is that cannabidiol is both a CYP3A4 and CYP2C19 substrate. And while we don't uh, know uh, from these tests, because these were done in kids under the age of two, we don't have, uh, and these were really bad seizure disorders. I mean, these kids had no life. You're talking like, uh, you'll have to verify this, but like 30 to 40 seizures a day before starting this. Um, the... Uh, so the, the point I'm trying to make is there was a reason to get this drug to market before you could do all the drug interaction studies the way that, you know, as an oncology pharmacist, I'd like to see. But as a 3A4 and 2C19 substrate, there obviously are going to be the potential for drugs that block 3A4 and 2C19 to increase exposure of cannabidiol, boriconazole being a good example of a drug we use a lot in hematologic malignancy patients as a 3A4 uh, substrate and then a major 2C19, uh, a strong, two, I'm sorry, a strong 3A4 inhibitor and a moderate 2C19 inhibitor. So avoriconazole, you'd expect to shoot your cannabidiol levels through the roof. Um, there's also a suggestion of the package insert that uh, 
that at, uh, there's a potential for drug interactions at clinically relevant concentrations due to inhibition of cytochromes 2C8, uh, 2C9, UGT1A9, and UGT2B7. I'm just going to go through some potential problems with those things. So CYP2C8 uh, is the major metabolic route for the drug paclitaxel, which is a, a major 3A4 or 2C8 substrate and then a moderate 3A4 substrate. Uh, now, we don't know how much it would increase, say, the AUC of a 2C8 drug, but potentially somebody's on cannabidiol, say a breast cancer patient, lung cancer patient, and they get paclitaxel, there's at least a chance that they have more exposure to paclitaxel and more toxicity, which is very concerning to me. Um, as far as 2C9, of course, the S enantiomer, the super strong enantiomer of warfarin is, is metabolized by 2C9. Most of the NSAIDs, including ibuprofen, we don't use a ton of NSAIDs in cancer patients, but there's that potential. Uh, Losartan, herbosartan are 2C9 substrates. Most of the sulfonylureas, including glipizide, and then valproic acid, also a 2C9 substrate. We're going to come back to valproic acid. Um, as far as um, UGT1A9, uh, that is uh, a breakdown route for propofol and serafinib, a drug we use in cancer patients. And UGT2B7 is the glucuronidation enzyme responsible for uh, glucuronidine morphine, uh, both the three glucuronide metabolite and a 6-glucuronide metabolite that comes through UGT2B7. And if cannabidiol inhibits UGT2B7, uh, not only would you have the additive sedation of cannabidiol and morphine, but potentially a lot more morphine side effect by, uh, by blocking the, the metabolic breakdown of morphine, which is also very scary. And that's like a, that would be a big, big major drug interaction in cancer patients if that were shown to be true in pharmacokinetics. It's certainly something I'm going to be watching for in patients who say they're taking cannabidiol. Uh, and of course, to, to make sure that you, uh, you catch those patients, you want to be uh, non-confrontational, non-judgmental uh, when they take that. And probably my standard medication history um, you know, is going to expand from not just explicitly asking for anything over-the-counter dietary supplements, but also cannabidiol or CBD oil in our patients. Um, so back to, uh, I did not mention CYP2C19. We have a little bit more data about the potential effects of cannabidiol blocking CYP2C19 because of the concomitant use in these seizure studies of clobazam, uh, or clobazam, which is uh, benzodiazepine used in some of these seizure stores. So we know there's a threefold increase in the area under the curve of clobazam. Now we don't know if that applies to other 2C19 substrates, but other 2C9, 2C19 substrates that we see a lot, Azepam, citalopram, commonly used antidepressant in women taking tamoxifen because of the lack of the 2D6 drug interaction as opposed to, say, tamoxifen or uh, fluoxetine or paroxetine. And then voriconazole again as a 2C19 substrate. So not only can voriconazole make the cannabidiol more toxic, but uh, cannabidiol could also do the same to voriconazole. And voriconazole's got some, uh, it's kind of, a, uh, it's got some funky kinetics anyway, uh, and we'll be usually monitoring uh, drug concentrations of voriconazole in the first place. Additionally, there's also this odd mention that the that CBD might induce or inhibit some other um, cytochromes, including 1A2, which is the metabolic route for the most commonly used drug in the world, uh, that being caffeine. Uh, from a just basic uh, kind of toxicity study, of course, sedation you would expect from CBD. Here's what the package insert says. I'm quoting, insufficient data are available to assess the risk of concomitant administration of other hepatotoxic drugs and cannabidiol. And that's because uh, there was a 
an increase in LFT seen in some patients taking cannabidiol in these New England Journal of Medicine papers for these seizure disorders. In the Linux Gestalt paper, there were 14 patients who had a, a threefold increase in their LFTs, which would be a grade three transaminitis. Of the 14 patients, 11 of them were taking concomitant valproic acid. And in the Gestalt uh, syndrome paper, all of those with, with increase in LFTs were also taking valproic acid. So is this a specific interaction with valproic acid? Or is this an interaction with other hepatotoxic drugs? In other words, cannabidiol uh, is not really hepatotoxic, but it makes other hepatotoxic drugs more hepatotoxic, or other hepatotoxic drugs make cannabidiol more hepatotoxic. That's an unknown that would need to be answered before widespread use, in my opinion, of CBD in cancer patients. So think of a patient receiving high-dose methotrexate. We often see ASTLT shoot up uh, right after administration of high-dose methotrexate. If they're on cannabidiol, is that gonna be worse? What about somebody getting uh, you know, a conditioning regimen, a myeloablative conditioning regimen for an allogeneic stem cell transplant where you're worried about you know, basically liver failure and sinusoidal obstructive syndrome or what used to be called uh, veno-occlusive disease, VOD. And then you know, all chemo can potentially cause hepatotoxicity. We, I've seen low-dose cytarabine, you know, the 20 milligrams sub-Q twice a day. Patients after several cycles start to develop some transaminitis each time they get a dose. Uh, so obviously uh, that's worrisome. Uh, and I'm going to leave you with this, uh, just since I'm talking about uh, kind of what this, uh, the concerns with this. There is a, a phase two study from 2015 October in biology blood marrow transplantation looking at CBD in uh, allogeneic stem cell transplant patients uh, to see if it's helpful for graft versus host disease, oddly enough, because of potentially anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, and they compared it to a historical control. You can't really say anything from that, and maybe there'll be a phase three study. Uh, so maybe there's a use for this drug. Uh, but mostly what I, I wanted to, what I wanted to get across are the potential drug interaction concerns with CBD, especially uh, with varying potencies out there uh, that patients may or may not be taking. And that's all I have for you today. I want to thank you for listening to Oncofarm. Uh, rate, rate the podcast, give us a five-star rating, review us, tell us what you like, what you'd like to hear more of. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib, follow the podcast at OncoFarmPod, and you can follow me on Instagram at OncoFarmPod as well. Uh, thanks for listening, and remember, doses matter.